0: Chapter 1. Son of God as a Christological Title I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in His only Son, Jesus our Lord. Millions of Christians recite these words from the Apostles' Creed week by week. But what does it mean to confess Jesus as God's only Son? What does it mean to say that the God of the Bible has a Son? It cannot possibly mean exactly the same thing that I mean when I tell people. Yes, I have a son. Moreover, here and there in Scripture we learn, as we shall see, that Adam is God's son, Israel is God's son, King Solomon is God's son, the Israelites are sons of God, the peacemakers shall be called sons of God, and angels can be referred to as God's sons. So in what way is Jesus' sonship like or unlike any of these? Why should we think of him as God's only son, Preliminary Reflections For at least a century, Christian preaching and writing have focused much more attention on Jesus' deity and Jesus' lordship than on Jesus' sonship. In recent times, when Christians have written and spoken about Jesus as the Son of God, they have tended to focus on one of three topics. First, Many works forged within the discipline of systematic theology discuss the Sonship of Jesus and especially the title Son of God within their broader treatment of Trinitarian theology. The volume by Alistair McGrath offers no Son of God entry in its index. When Professor McGrath treats the biblical foundations of the Trinity, he mentions three personifications of God within the Bible, though he prefers the term hypostatizations, namely wisdom, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. Son is not mentioned, but McGrath nicely treats the Son in the ensuing pages that work through the historical development of the doctrine of the Trinity during the patristic period. Here readers learn the Eastern approach to the Trinity, the Father begets the Son and breathes or spirates the Holy Spirit, and the Western approach to the Trinity, the Father begets the Son and Father and Son breathe the Holy Spirit. McGrath devotes almost no effort to tying these discussions down to what the biblical texts actually say. This part of his treatment is caught up in patristic controversies. The recent and fine work of systematic theology by Michael Horton, in keeping with its greater length, devotes much more space to the Trinity, including more efforts to tie his theological conclusions to Scripture. Yet neither McGrath nor Horton works through the different ways in which the title Son of God applies to Jesus. They focus almost exclusively on passages in which Son of God applies to Jesus and appears to have some bearing on our understanding of the Trinity. That is understandable, even commendable, granted their projects. Nevertheless, it leaves readers in the dark about the diversity of ways in which Son of God is used to refer to Jesus and about the ways in which the same Son language can be applied to Adam, Israelites, Solomon, peacemakers, and angels. And this list is not exhaustive. Second, a handful of works are specialist volumes focusing not on the categories of systematic theology but on slightly different lines. Simon Jantz traces the reception history of Psalm 2, especially the You Are My Son formula in early Judaism and in the New Testament. The history Jantz reconstructs is minimalist. Certainly he draws no lines toward Trinitarianism. Following a rather different procedure— Michael Papard analyzes the adoptive procedures in the social and political contexts of the Roman world and reads the New Testament and developing patristic evidence against that background. Readers will not be entirely mistaken if they conclude that his thesis is a new reductionism, one more example of exegesis by appeals to ostensible parallels, in this case Greco-Roman parallels, of parallelomania, to use the lovely term coined by Samuel Sandmill. Third, In the last few years, two-spirited controversies have erupted and garnered their share of publications regarding Son or Son of God terminology applied to Jesus. The first of these clashes concerns the extent to which the Son is not subordinate to the Father, with a correlative bearing on debates over egalitarianism and complementarianism. I shall not devote much time to that debate in these chapters, but merely offer a handful of observations along the way. The Second Clash debates how the expression Son of God should be translated, especially in Bible translations designed for the Muslim world. I shall devote part of the third chapter to that subject, but I shall be prepared to do so only after laying the groundwork in the first two chapters. These, then, have been the three major foci of interest when Son of God has been probed in recent years. Interesting exceptions occasionally surface.